So I want to uh, look tonight at um, uh, the ways to work with the precepts. Uh, you might uh, might seem pretty straightforward, but I, th- I think uh, it pays uh, to reflect a little bit on how we come at this as a teaching. Because uh, one of the things I've seen, certainly in myself and, and a lot of people that I talk to, that uh, is that, I don't know, we seem to be coming from a, a mindset of, like we were talking about today, sort of rewards and punishments and right and wrong, a very... Um, uh, dichotomous kind of thinking, you know, that there's a there's a right way to be and a wrong way to be, a good way to be and a bad way to be, and things like that. It's it's just kind of um, a, a perception or a view, a way of seeing things that's pretty deeply entrenched. So it's very easy to pick up the precepts through that kind of filter, and um, and then you know you get the you get these attitudes of sort of a self righteousness or self aggrandizing or, or things like this, which is the absolute wrong way to come at this. And, uh, you know, if we're honest, I think we'll all admit maybe perhaps only in the very early years, but we've all done that to some extent. And uh, whether it's judging ourselves or criticizing ourselves or thinking ourselves bad or looking at other people's behavior (laughs) and and doing that with them, you know. I mean, there's nothing more annoying in Buddhist circles than the karma police, you know. And they they come out, you know. And And whether it's from external sources or... We're doing that internally, you know, smacking ourselves around for the things that we see. And I don't think this, that's even remotely uh, mm-hmm. what the Buddha is getting at as a methodology here or a, a practice. I mean, this, the, the sila is all about, um, just the first pass is really um, helping to free ourselves from the suffering, you know, so, so that this heart can uh, and know some happiness, know some... Uh, contentment and some ease so that we can meditate <laughs> you know that that's really the, the basis for it all and it, it certainly it's good in and of itself but it's also to uh, set the groundwork uh, create a fertile field for practice it was interesting to me too I met this guy one time who was a monk for a long time in Korea and he said that in the monastery that he was in that they didn't um, you you could, once you became a monk you you weren't taught the meditation for five years mm-hmm. and uh, that, the, that literally the first five years was all about um, uh, softening uh, around your conduct so that you know it's kind of like putting yourself in a tumbler <laughs> getting rid of all the the rough edges so that the kinds of things that we sit with. Uh, and reverberate in the mind and obstruct concentration can be smoothed out, you know. And to some extent, I've seen that in the Ajahn Chah lineage too, where the, uh, the junior monks and nuns uh, make a determination uh, to serve and support. They, they enter into a relationship with the seniors um, in, in the lineage um, that is called dependent. <laughs> and uh, and that's, that goes on for five to seven years. And uh, much of their training at that stage, they, they meditate, they do meditate, but much of their training at that stage is all about um, looking out for the needs of the community. And specifically, an individual monk or nun that they uh, become the steward for, the caretaker for. Uh, and so it's, it's, it's fascinating. And, uh, then then, uh, then uh, for the first five years, they're, just, they're called junior and then from five to ten years, you're a majima, you're a middle-length <laughs> monk or nun, and, and, and then not until uh, you've been 
uh, training for at least 10 years uh, are you considered uh, able to teach so that, that, that you know this is it's a, it's a wonderful process that we can learn from just w- in watching uh, how it's done in different arenas but so understanding um, how and why what's what's what are the precepts getting at and how do how do we work with them in the most skillful ways and so for myself I've, I've just kind of dissected it um, and, and seen um, how best to do that for myself. And, and the first bit of it has to do really with understanding what is the dynamic that we're setting up when we take the precepts or um, resolve to, to behave in certain ways. So that's exactly what's happening. Something arises in the heart. And, and this is certainly, uh, if it's well thought out, you know, n- not just sort of done in a rote way or an automatic way because this is what Buddhists do at the beginning of retreats. You know, we want to get, get ourselves into this and understand um, the commitment level that we're talking about here. So uh, the, the, the first uh, order of business is that we're, we're responding to an aspiration. We're, we're making an aspiration. Or uh, if you're familiar with the, the paramis, uh, one of them is uh, aditana, it's making a determination. Uh, it's the same thing as like a New Year's resolution or re- resolutions on the Days of Atonement and things like this, where you're, 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 you're resolving to behave in a certain way. And, and then what you do is you gather the forces of the mind around that uh, to uh, sort of um, uh, develop it, uh, to feed it, to put some flesh on the bone of that. Uh, and... Uh, so, so, for example, with the precepts, if, 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 if it was speech that you were zeroing in on, you, you're, you're saying, I, I, I resolve, I undertake this training rule to, um, not to use incorrect speech, right? Uh, and then the, you gather the mind uh, around that. And uh, so just to, to consider, to understand that in terms of the processes of the mind, what's actually happening in here. Um, we're we're um, using um, the different faculties of the mind. In this case, it's particularly sanya and sankara, the perception uh, aggregate and the formations aggregate, right? So um, the, the sanya is the idea, or it's like a view. You know, this is a good thing to do. <laughs> this is an idea. This is a way that I want to be. And then the mind forms around that. That's the formation. You know, the, the, the mind gathers around that particular um, uh, perception. So it's a perception and a mental formation. And it's a, you know, we've, we talk about not attaching to ideas, but that's when they're not conscious. But <laughs> when it's a conscious idea and a good idea at that, it's a very different uh, deal. So now you're using uh, the khandas um, in the interest of your practice. Not, not as this, you know, runaway train. Um, that you're actually kind of engaging these uh, faculties of mind that you know are uniquely human and, and um, part of the the hardware that we've got to be able to clean up our act and, and uh, liberate this mind and certainly free, free ourselves from suffering. So I mean that's that's one angle to look at, and another way that's very similar is, and it's still using sanya, uh, the um, aggregate of um, perception. Part one, char- one of the ways that that's characterized is as its memory. 
So, or sati uh, is uh, also uh, looked at this way. Like uh, sometimes sati, which is often translated as mindfulness, is actually um, uh, understood as more like recollecting and remembering. Uh, and so, uh, what we end up doing is um, when we form this resolve, it, it's like it gets stored in the mind as a memory. <laughs> And, and so that um, it's 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 accessible. It's, it's it's there to come up under certain conditions, uh, and to become a player in the mix of what's going on. So uh, you know what what I'm saying here is that um, you, know, you maybe you form this resolve to to speak kindly, and and the mind remembers, so that when the impulse to speak harshly or unkindly starts to bubble up and you know that feeling you know if you hopefully we're, we're increasingly sensitized to this uh, as the months and years of practice unfold so what but when that uh, starts to bubble up <laughs> in the karmic pattern the karmic ripples then uh, it's like these little uh, bells and whistles start going off you know I mean obviously it's all happening at very lightning fast speed but it has that effect and it's like, whoa, 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 wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute. We weren't going to do that. We weren't going to do that. Hold on, hold on. You know, the, the, the whole system starts to, the, the pattern is starting to get broken up, you know. And, and um, that memory is a key player. That resolve is a key player. And it, it, it gets to um, uh, present itself at those times when the contrary um, behavior is, is uh, bubbling up or about to happen, or even when it's happening. I'm sure you've seen you've seen this. <laughs> you know how many times have you seen it? Uh, it? It's very fascinating stuff, and it's very handy. It's a very handy tool to have in our tool belt because um, it it uh, it can slow things down, it, and um, it can um, actually even have the effect. Just that much can have the effect. It's, it's like um, I'm sure you've had this feeling like a. Like there's somebody in there throwing the switch. You know, like you might even, especially around speech, like you might um, start out a sentence one way and it's bubbling up and all this little fancy footwork is going on in the mind, you know, and it, it's like, oh, no, no, she's about to say something to me. No, 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 look at that, look at that. And then somebody throws the switch and it comes out completely differently. You, you know, you started a sentence one way and it ended some way completely different. Uh, you know, and I've had that happen sometimes where it, it just comes out as total gibberish, but that's better. <laughs> <You know? laughs> it's like it doesn't make any sense the way it started and the way it ended, but it's still it's better because it didn't go down that hateful, unkind route. You know, uh, and this is how this is fascinating stuff to watch, isn't it? I'm, I'm sure you, you you do this, and and so um, the thing about this is, and we have to understand this that um, we may still follow the unskillful impulse. You may still do it. Because, and, and this is very powerful because you, you really start to see the force of these uh, karmic patterns. You, know? mm-hmm. you may still uh, follow that impulse, but um, that, uh, that hesitation that takes place, that little, even if it's only a blip on the screen, you know, a minor ripple in the matrix. You know, <laughs> it's like it's huge in terms of um, shifting the karmic pattern, because um, just that much is enough to weaken it. Everything is different. 
Everything is different now because it wasn't an automatic pilot, because mindfulness was brought in, skillful use of resolve and restraint was brought in, and um, even if, you know, you still go with it, um, you've weakened it. So that's at the very least, um, we do that. And over time, we do that enough, because now, the next time, um, that hesitation will be stronger. Uh, and the possible, the potential of slowing things down will be greater. Uh, and, and it works like this. I mean, granted, there's all kinds of conditions that can come in that change that. I mean, you can be constipated, you can be tired, you know, <laughs> you can be all kinds of things that make it very uh, difficult for um, you know, these, these two, uh, two skillful impulses to operate fully. But, um, you know, it, it's starting to break it up. So at the very least, that's what's happening. But at, the, at best, we buy enough time. You know, the way the, the, the Buddha describes it in one of the suttas on the removal of distracting thought, he says, you know, you have to um, consider the unwholesome or unhappy consequences. And, and it, you know, when you read that, you think, oh, you sit there, and you, oh, well, remember you didn't like that, that, that. But it, it plays out much faster than that, doesn't it? It, it's like a, it's all happening at very lightning fast speed, but it does have that effect. If it if it can slow down enough, then um, it, it, it's a, it might the mind not might not even be putting full thoughts and words to that um, uh, that idea. But I, I guarantee you, it is going. Oh, please don't do that again. <laughs> You know, you you remember, you know what that was like. You know what the, where that takes you, and um, you know, trying at the level best to 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 make it go in a different direction. So th- there's just so much good stuff uh, active in um, the use of resolve and restraint and understanding what's going on, and it, and it just gets very very interesting to watch, doesn't it? Uh, I mean, I, I just, just, just think it's amazing. Especially when you get, get a good glimpse of that mad scramble that can take place in the mind. I mean, that's what I call it. You know, it's like this, what's going to happen, what's going to happen? And I was talking to this guy a number of years ago. He was one of the um, psychotherapists who was one of the founding people for the Institute for Meditation and Psychotherapy. And uh, he has since passed away, but lovely guy. And uh, he used to... Um, teach, uh, work with um, the police force, um, uh, particularly the uh, vice uh, officers, um, in, in trying to help them to handle stress, enormously stressful job, you know. And so um, he would go and do these trainings with them. And he said he, he really wondered who was being trained half the time because he learned so much from them. But they had this... Um, a thing that they describe when they were trying to characterize their stress, and they said, "So, so here you are. You know, you're 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 the vice squad, and you've been called to um, go to a certain apartment where drugs are being dealt, and this is uh, big money operations and uh, all this illegal stuff going on. You know, and so uh, they go in there, they bust open the door." And they're all standing there with their guns drawn. 
and they're facing a whole room full of people who are looking right back at them with their guns drawn. You know, and, and they, said, they, they say that, that there's this moment where it's all frozen. And it's probably a split second, but it feels like an eternity. And uh, they, ha- they actually have a name for it. They call it a WFN, which is a weird friggin' moment. <laughs> and when he told me that story, I, re- I was relating it to the- it's It's like this in the mind. When there's that um, rush of uh, conflicting, contradictory karmic patterns, all vying for center stage, and and you don't, do you ever that feeling? I wonder which way it's going to go. <laughs> you do not know what's going to happen. Yeah, it's it's wild. So it's just fascinating to see how. Um, the mind um, is uh, t- trying to move itself in the direction of uh, the most skillful things that it, uh, that we can do. But in order to do that, you, you know, you've got to create this um, uh, very uh, spacious, open environment for that to happen. And so, part of that is just really working with um, resolve and restraint, and doing our level best to get in there with that wedge and, and um, uh, manage that better <laughs> than perhaps we have in the past. Uh, and and it's, it's great stuff. So that's, that's the biggie. That's, one of the, that's the, the main way that um, we're, we're working with the precepts. But there's another way that I find um, that uh, uh, is very helpful and very effective over the years too. So it's not just getting that wedge in there and, and slowing things down or, or even uh, overcoming the skillful patterns. And I say this carefully because we have to understand it, um, but it, it is really much more about, or, or as much about, getting acquainted with what those patterns are. You know, it's like, I, I compare it to, like, you know, when you're meditating and... Um, the effort is to um, stay with the breath, stay with the breath, stay with the breath, stay with the breath. And how? And I'm sure you've probably done this. I know I have in, in the early years of my practice where uh, it's all, there's a preoccupation with the tool. <laughs> and so all you're trying to do is get good at watching your breath. You know, that, that's what you're trying to do. And so that the, all the energy is going there, all the focus is going there. But uh, it just uh, suddenly, maybe years into practice, the mind just starts to get interested in what in the heck keeps pulling me out? <laughs> you know, it, it's like it keeps denying that that's happening and not looking at that. <laughs> you know, I don't want to know. You know, I, my job is to be here with the breath, and so I don't want. I don't want to think about it. I don't want to notice any of that. You know, but then. After you get sick of coming back to the breath, you know, and, and, and sick of having to pull yourself out of it, and then suddenly the mind just goes, well, what is so important? <laughs> what is so interesting that you can't stay here? You know, what, what the heck is, uh, keeps pulling me out, right? So it's, it's very similar to that. Okay, so, you, you know, it's like, uh, what is this impulse that... Uh, is unskillful and is taking me down this path. You know, what is it? 
I, I want to get to know it. Um, and and it's like, you know, I compare it to the meditation in this sense because there's, there's very subtle ways that we don't want to know it. We don't want to see it. We, you know, if you, if you, for example, if you have any kind of a definition of yourself as being a certain way, it's a very subtle attachment to a sanya, to a perception or a view of ourselves. Then anything that comes up in the heart or the mind that uh, defies that, you don't see. <laughs> it's like it's selective attention, you know. So, or or there's subtle ways that we're denying it, or we don't want to look at it, we don't want to see it, right? And and so um, and with that operating, then um, we never really get very acquainted with our own. Um, well, skillful, and, uh, but uh, we're talking about unskillful stuff here. But uh, skillful or unskillful karma, we, we don't. It's not. You're not getting that good, clean hit, like I like to call it. You know, it's, it's always tangled, or um, you know, you're looking at it like a crab. You know, sort of sideways, coming at it from uh, from the side, and not looking at it at it head on. So what I'm saying here is that to me, a lot of working with the precepts is. We're not just trying to clean up our act. We're trying to get acquainted with the act that we have. <laughs> you know what? What is? What are the? What are our patterns? The, working with the precepts is the the number one way uh, to, in the in the practice to become acquainted with uh, our karma, with our karmic patterns, uh, all of it, uh, skillful and unskillful. And, and so, you know, admittedly, this, this is one of those things that often falls into that category of um, self-knowledge is always bad news, you know. Because <laughs> I, cert- I don't know about you, but I certainly thought I was a pretty, uh, pretty nice person until I started to work with the precepts. <laughs> you start to see what, you, what you're really going on in there, you know. And, and and you have to be honest and um, willing to, to to have a look and to, to not push it away. And, and so why you know? Uh, well, because not seeing our karmic patterns means you're um, completely doomed <laughs> to remain the way that you are. <laughs> <laughs> Which is, I mean, if it's all good, it's no problem. But you know, it's not—it's not all good, is it? You know, it's not all skillful stuff. And so, if you don't, so so part of the way we we operate is out of delusion. You're not you're not seeing it. Or if we, uh, if any part of us um, um, doesn't like it, then you start to go into the self hatred mode. And now we're just compounding it. It's like it's not bad enough that you have that pattern. Now you hate it. So you got that, that, that second arrow going in, you know. Uh, and um, uh, or you or you wish you were some other way. Keep longing to be some other way. And so this is. I mean, this is a biggie. Ajahn Shah says, uh, you know, if you if you hate it. Just a little bit, <laughs> and to that I would add: if you if you long to be another way, just a little bit, you're guaranteeing your its return. Mm-hmm. You're absolutely guaranteeing it, because it's the 
that's the that's the form how attachment plays out. The, the, the wanting not to be the way that you are. Um, if it's not, I mean, there's there's a way that you feel the pain of it, and you can wish that you could clean that up. That's very clean. But there's a way that it's self hatred and self loathing, and, and that's what I'm talking about. We don't we don't want to get into that uh, because that. Um, it just uh, imprints it. Um, the, these longing and resisting voices that we hear inside our head, they are not on our side. <laughs> They're not on the side of liberating the mind. They're on the side of keeping it locked in. And we really have to see that and understand that. It, this, is the, this is not how shifts um, in patterns and habits of mind take place. But I mean, we're going to talk a lot more about self-view. But another way to see that is, you know, I've been touching on it a little bit. But this sense of self that is a strong formation in the mind. Um, We actually, the way that plays out is, um, there's a sense of somebody in here who is cleaning up my act, who is doing that work, and and it's that bit that is the longing and the resisting. You know, it's not. It's, it's not only not cleaning up our act. It's it's um, uh, ensuring that it perpetuates. So we we've got to find ways to work around this. And so this this bit of just um, gradually. It sounds crazy, but in the end, we have to. It's counterintuitive, but you have to come to a place where it's okay to be the way that we are. And you know you can feel the mind squirm. It's like no, you know I'm supposed to be different. I'm supposed to be better. I'm supposed to, uh, and it's it's in a way that's true. We want to clean up our act, but it's maybe what we're saying is that the Buddhist strategies are very different. They come at it not from a heady intellectual smack yourself around kind of way. They came at it from. Uh, helping us, facilitating uh, the direct knowledge of what it's like to be that way and trusting that over the year, months and years of practice that that's the, that's the ticket <laughs> intuitive knowledge direct knowledge, experiential knowledge that, so that we feel it you know. so, so maybe you can't stop speaking unkindly you know Maybe, maybe you, you can't stop doing things that dull the mind, watching too much TV, playing games, doing anything, these kinds of things, you know, eat, eating too much or whatever, uh, sleeping too much. Or, or maybe, uh, maybe you can't stop making objects out of people <laughs> for your own gratification, you know. These are all things we talk about in Dhamma discussions. But uh, th- the objective here is to get, by working with the precepts, and to get to a place where that tendency to um, judge, uh, to criticize, to turn it back on ourselves, to hate ourselves for that, to, to receive the way that we are with anything but kindness, uh, that it's got to be cleared out. It's got to be eradicated. You know, it, it, uh, 
you just come to this as you almost have to you almost like come to this because you have to nothing else works <laughs> smack myself around enough you know it's like already alright already it doesn't work <laughs> cut it out try uh, kindness and compassion and try I mean one time when I was smacking myself around in one way or another I can't remember what it was but um, this little little baby voice came up in my heart and it was like I'm doing the best I can (laughs) (laughs) and it was a great turning point for me because it was true you know it's like stop hitting me I'm doing the best I can and we are (laughs) you know we're doing the we're doing the best we can and we have to learn new approaches uh, to uh, these shifts do happen uh, but they don't happen from uh, uh, smashing. You know, they, they happen uh, out of kindness and softness and compassion and direct knowledge, direct experience. So, you know, I, I have found um, it, it, it just really working uh, very hard to, to try to be kinder, <laughs> even just internally, let alone externally, you know. Uh, is the, the the biggest one of the biggest uh, supports, and and um, certainly since working more and more with that over the years, you find yourself just um, on occasion maybe having a really good cry about it all, you know, or um, maybe punching a wall if, if that's how it plays out, you know, it's like like trying, but 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 the point being, get real, you know get to this place where uh, we're honest and real about what it is that we see uh, arising from us, within us and, and just see it and feel it and this is um, this is the process and uh, I've even um, you know for a long time um, I perhaps I, uh, I might have erred a little bit on the side of giving karmic patterns a little more slack you know, in the effort to not hate them and to not pounce and to actually see it it's almost like you have to give it a little more line it's like how you, how you bring in a, a fish or something you know like Andy's story today how does that happen well sometimes you have to let it run a little bit <laughs> you know uh, in order to, to bring it in and um, you know, I've uh, done that a lot even at the risk of uh, I was afraid at first because I think oh I'm just indulging the state and the mind can be very, uh, it's very tricky. It's got a lot of ploys. <laughs> It'll manipulate you any way it can to, to play out what it wants to, you know. But just even at the risk of indulging it, just let, it, let things play out so that uh, I'm not hating it and I'm not fighting it. And, um, and, and I can have a better um, opportunity to, to feel it. And, and uh, what, what uh, I and a lot of my Dhamma friends have described through the years, have seen through the years, is that then, it's interesting, you start to come around to um, a deeper appreciation of restraint. But because um, it's coming out of a much wiser place now. Because now you really have the information that says, this is hurting you. This is hurting other people. You know, because you, you, you've let it, you've let yourself feel that more, and then um, the mind will turn away a lot more easily than it, when it, than it does if you crack the whip, 
you know, you might have noticed um, the mind does not respond well to um, directives <laughs> and, and, and tyrannical posturing. You know, <laughs> it doesn't uh, it doesn't respond to that at all. So some, you know, the, these softer approaches are much more helpful. So you've got the skillful use of resolve and restraint, and and you've got um, becoming acquainted with the pattern, and and dare I say, um, learning to love it, <laughs> love yourself to death, love it to death, <laughs> you know, finding that uh, that place, that kind of response in the heart. And then there's a third way that um, I found very helpful through the years, and and this. Um, has to do with seeing and working with, like using, you know, I talk a lot about seeing the um, skillful and, and um, celebrating that. How do you develop the skillful? How does that happen? And uh, a lot of it just happens from the same approach where you just, what does it feel like to be kind and generous? You know, and the, and the mind, it gets an appetite for this stuff. It's like, ooh, I like that. <laughs> and and it's almost, it's like it's using the pleasure and pain principle to, in the interest of our liberation. This feels good. I'll, I'll go for that. This feels painful. Let me get away from that one. You know, you're, you're actually engaging that, but um, to, for a much more significant purpose than uh, sensory gratification. So... Uh, do the same thing with uh, with uh, skillful states, and I, I've uh, used I use the precepts as a as a guide for that as a pointer for this um, in the same way. Uh, whereas, like say the the first precept is um, just to uh, to uh, not harm, to uh, not do harm, but uh, the say the the uh, development side of this is. Um, um, noticing the times when you are loving and kind, Knowing, noticing the times when you, you are behaving in, in uh, harmless ways, and really uh, take that to, to heart. And uh, we, we really need to see that we are already very kind and, and wonderful people. <laughs> You know, just you just look around the room and think about the people in your lives, and um, you know we're 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 very good people. Uh, and uh, you, sometimes, like we were talking about, how you can cringe around that, but don't cringe. You know, just stand tall in that and and let that uh, experience in. And and um, and I would say make it a deliberate practice to notice the times and the moments when. You're behaving out of this skillful mode, and really taking it to heart, so that you know we go to great extremes to escort spiders and flies out of the house. You know, to I mean, these whole have a heart traps and things like that. And uh, around here, one of the ones that gets me all the time is these uh, these chipmunks. You know, mm-hmm. and they're so 
I mean, they, they're the most neurotic animals I have ever seen in my life. <laughs> they're so nervous and so fearful, you know. And and you and don't you find yourself walking around going, "Don't worry, don't worry, don't worry. I'm not going to hurt you. It's everything's okay. Everything's okay." You know, you almost have to get into their mode to, to communicate with them, you know. <laughs> but that kind of thing, or the you know, there's many times when all the turkeys come through or the uh, deer are out there and notice what happens you know in the heart and uh, I, I mean I know you know how to do this but um, uh, I guess the issue here is do it <laughs> you know make it a make it a, a, a practice and, and one of the things that, that I love to do in this regard too is to um, really notice what's going on in the heart when uh, I'm watching the news and sort of the un, the unguarded mind will go bonkers about things, want to fix it, and talk about how horrible things are, or things like this. But but to chill, to get get in, get some samadhi going, and and receive the experiences of the, what the reporters are saying, and and watch the watch how the heart responds. It's a very very different mode, especially when it's. Um, Reports of uh, things like floods and fires and uh, things of this nature, plane crashes. You know, don't don't doesn't your heart just whimper? I mean, don't, don't you find yourself openly crying at times with the uh, recognition of the the pain that some people must be going through right now? Never mind tsunamis and earthquakes and you know tornadoes and all this stuff where masses of of people are affected. So, so to look at that and to question, or say, what's going on here? What? Why am I crying? I don't even know them. What's happening? You know, and and we feel it. There's a, there's like a this um, information is rubbing against our own innate harmlessness. We, we so we are so innately harmless, and not wanting other people, not wanting ourselves to experience that that kind of harm, and that kind of pain. You know, just feel that, that that how deep our concern goes for for other people. And this is the thing that um, develops it. This is how. This is how it matures, by allowing ourselves to feel it and uh, um, really, really touch it. And I mean, I don't know about you, but it doesn't even have to be real. It can be a movie, you know. <laughs> the heart will go there. Oh, that's so awful. I'm so sorry for that. Yeah. <laughs> what is that? Did you ever ask yourself? Look and see. So it just, I mean, I want to give a few examples, not not go through all the precepts, maybe, but um, but the, like the second one, not not taking things that don't belong to us. Um, so this, this obviously involves um, noticing that the difference between the contracted state when we're miserly or filled with self-concern, and uh, the open-hearted state where we're ex- extending um, for the welfare of other people. And, and we need to see that um, how much we're in that extended state, you know, that, that is generous <coughs> giving, 
concern extending all of that and uh, I, I really encourage people to pick that up as a practice and we'll do that when we hopefully you will when you're working with the, the precepts that we just to see uh, say you get, make the determination to notice all of the times when um, you're reaching out for the needs and the welfare of other people during, during the course of a day I, I guarantee you you're going to be surprised at how much you're doing it <laughs> You know, it's very, it's uh, it's a nat- it's another one of those innate uh, human qualities that, when it's unobstructed, uh, flows very very naturally, like a like a wellspring. It just it just bubbles up uh, from us. And you might notice it it's in these little things, like I was saying about holding the door, or um, you know, letting other people go first, or uh, thing, things of that nature. But um, but also, certainly, if you're a parent, I think one of the things that one can miss and, uh, as a parent, because we get so concerned um, um, with the, the duty and the responsibility side of it, that um, we can fail to see the, um, the, the, uh, just that pure um, interest in caring for another being and what that feels like. Really, really enter that. There's no shortage of opportunity to notice that. Or perhaps if you do volunteer work, things like this. Just to, to see all the different times throughout the course of the day when um, you're looking out for others instead of yourself. It's great stuff. And so I, I really think that one in particular points to the, the fact that um, giving is primary. It's a It's a human quality that all of us share. It's part of the thing that uh, moved us in the direction of so-called civilized beings. You know, It's a, the, the, uh, working in community, caring for other people in the community. So just notice it and, and linger. Uh, I invite you to, to linger in the happiness of that. And uh, it's, a, it's a rich one. It just you just get happier and happier and happier when you when we notice this one. So maybe one more. The, uh, we've talked a lot about speech and clearing the minds. I just want to look at this third precept a little bit too: the sexual misconduct and um, you know the flip side of this is really um, at the very least it's treating each other with respect. <coughs> We're not seeing each other as objects for our grat- our own gratification, whether it's sexual lines or anything. It doesn't matter, but just the ways that we make objects out of each other, and um, it's not good news. When you, I, I picked this up as a practice for a while, it was it was really pretty pretty bad. <laughs> I didn't realize I was doing it as much as I was, but and it wasn't just sexual stuff. But one thing that really brought it to my attention was. Um, one time when I was at the monastery and um, this man came who was um, I didn't know it at the time he was actually there to uh, become ordained and um, you know I just I, personally I have this little valve that just turns off <laughs> when, when I know that somebody's going to be a monk you know it's like uh-uh. you know, that, that's <laughs> don't even think about it <laughs> you know that kind of thing 
because it's hard enough. Uh, uh, <laughs> you know, <laughs> but that's that's a nowhere. That's a no zone. Uh, and so, but I didn't know this about this particular guy, and he was so gorgeous. And um, I mean, everybody was in love with. All the women were in love with. All the men were in love with him. He just, he just had he was one of those eye candy kind of people, you know. And um, he had this huge head of hair and this big bushy mustache, you know, and these, these big blue eyes. And everybody was just being like school kids around him, you know. <laughs> it was really funny to, to watch, and certainly I was in on it, you know, I was doing that too. And, um, you know, you just seeing some of that behavior is not very fun, and it's all very transparent at the monastery. But he did something that was a great gift. I mean, I can't speak for other people, but it was a huge gift to me, and I doubt that he even knew it. But um, as he was, the day was approaching for his ordination, what they do is they're getting ready and making their robes and everything. Um, uh, they sh- usually shave their head um, and shave any facial hair uh, a couple of, of days ahead and just start to get used to it before the ordination uh, and maybe do it once or twice before the ordain. And so what he did, he had a real sense of humor. He, he um, shaved one half of his head and one half, the other half of his mustache one day and then came back, which was looked ridiculous, as you might imagine, absolutely ridiculous. And then, <laughs> and then he shaved the other half and the other half the next day. And it was one of those things where you know one of one of the things that the monks and nuns are always afraid of when they're approaching ordination is what shape head they have. Because you can't tell under their hair often, you know. And some of them have good heads and some of them have bad heads, you know. And, and, and then, but this is how you, you, you're exposed to the world from then on in. You know, somebody who has a, a flat head or a hole somewhere or misshapen or something like this, you know. And, and it's a big, it's a big uh, issue for them. Well, th- this guy was one who had a bad head. <laughs> it was all flat and bumpy and, and, uh, and misshapen, you know, and maybe that's what all the thick hair was hiding. And then uh, the mustache was hiding absolutely no upper lip, you know. And so, <laughs> and so suddenly, in a, in a matter of a day, uh, he went from this, you know, drool eye candy, drool over eye candy, you know, just everybody's salivating over the guy, to, ooh, get me out of here, you know, <laughs> don't even want to look at him, don't want to talk to him. And, and uh, for me, I mean, it's funny in the telling, but boy, in the moment, oh my God, I was, I was nauseated with myself. You know, I just, oh my God, what have you done? You, you know, you completely created, you, you took something like the hair of head, hair of body, and created an object out of it. You created, you, you totally objectified a human being. You know, it's like, I like the way you look, keep looking that way. It's making me happy. You know, Upandita used to say, when you find that attraction to somebody, what was it? You try to see what, what did it? Was it their eyes? Was it their hair? Was it a gesture? You know, because the, the mind doesn't need much. <laughs> it just 
needs something that it likes, and it will create the person, right? And then, and then um, after this, I went through this whole no, uh, sort of reevaluation of the way that I had been relating to the men in my life, and I, I, ch- I questioned whether I ever loved anybody, you know. What was it? What did it? And I started. I actually started to go back and apologize and stuff, you know, and, and went through this whole um, reorientation, just trying to make amends uh, for possible past harm. But something like that is, is 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 very very telling, you know. You really get to see where the uh, what the mind is doing and how quickly it makes objects out of anything, people whatever, that become objects for my gratification. And, and, and it's like you defy them to stop being the object of your gratification, you know. You wonder why so many marriages go wrong, you know. But it's, it's a lot of what happens, you know. We create each other and then demand that, uh, that, that uh, continue. It's very, very telling. So, uh, just that I mean that was a, a sort of a se- that was a sexual in a sexual context but we do the same thing with um, it doesn't have to be in a sexual context uh, w- one of the ways that we watched, we saw it when I was on staff at IMS um, when I was a resident teacher there we were uh, talking about how um, difficult it is to live in community with one another when each person in the community also has a job when you live and work in the community and how you never get away from your job or like if you, if you have a day off or if you walk through the dining hall then you know you go oh Marie and that, that memo you know Marie becomes the object uh, the, the thing that stands between you and something that you need to do you know or becomes the source of that particular uh, activity that you have to fulfill, and and so we identified that, and really named it, and and really tried to work on it. How it is that we're making, you know, it, it's not it's not Marie anymore. It's the, the HR person. It's like, well, no, 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 no. You know, we got We got to find a way to um, bring this uh, in, in in into a realm where we're actually with uh, each other and not with each other in an object, subject-object-oriented way, but with each other in a, in a whole other way. And it was very powerful. We worked on it hard for a while. And so I guess the objective here is just to, to look and say, doesn't it feel good <laughs> when we don't want anything from anybody? <coughs> you know, that feeling. That's, that's one of the ways to work with this precept. To, to notice um, and, and I, I, the reason why I kind of talked about the downside of it is because it's uh, for me I'm just learning the upside of it you know uh, I can see uh, when I picked it up as a practice and I started to see how much I do that then um, the, the training the, the getting in there and not manipulating people for my benefit uh, that's, that's been many years work you know, learning how not to do that. And, and just in subtle ways, I mean, it's, it's not just making objects, but uh, how we get people to do what we want them to do. We're good at it. Just look and see. 
get them to be the way that we want them to be. This is all uh, within the parameters, I think, of this precept. Learning how, how not to do that and feeling how good it feels when we don't. Those moments when you're just listening to somebody, communing, being there with them and receiving them as they are without thinking, without, uh, thinking about what they can be to you <laughs> or for you. It's, it's fabulous, fabulous practice. So these, uh, these uh, wholesome behaviors are, are definitely part of our daily repertoire and, and we want to be able to develop the habit of noticing them. Uh, and I would, say, I would go so far as to say work on this more than th- the habit of noticing where it's off, <laughs> noticing the unskillful. We need more work on this in this regard. And, and I think this is, uh, there's a good reason for it and it's really proceeding from a lack of insight into dukkha. You know, if, you, if we understood dukkha, if we really got the truth of dukkha, then the fact that other people behave badly or that we behave badly, it'd be normal. <laughs> you know, the mind wouldn't go so bonkers over it. It's normal stuff. But uh, since we don't get that, then every time it happens, it's like pounce, you know. So this, this, uh, this uh, working on noticing and being with the skillful can really, really balance that stuff out. So just this uh, closing with a story that I know you've heard, but it's a nice um, little theme to, to close out with here, where you know we talk about the Buddhist teachings as uh, emphasizing the, the work on, on the individual heart uh, and the way... Um, to, as, as that being the primary way uh, to a happy society. And, and so uh, Buddha um, really recognized the power uh, of beings um, who have found virtue in their hearts and have found their, their own um, skillfulness and are at peace with themselves because of that. And uh, so he, this is what he said. He said uh, that those who come into contact with the pure-hearted ones experience it and they seek it it's very powerful and I know you know this if you've been around people who uh, have their act together (laughs) you know something goes woo (laughs) I want to be like that so so he said that the the pure hearted ones live in happy homes and a town with many such homes is a happy town and a state with many such towns is a happy state. A nation with many such uh, states is a happy nation. And a world with many such nations is a happy world. So it, it all begins with a, a very clear statement uh, of, of what we value um, as individuals uh, and focusing on these individual acts of kindness and this maturing of a very skillful states and the, the good states within our hearts. So I offer you this for your reflection tonight. I hope, hope it's helpful. Yeah. Uh, I thought we could close tonight with a, a sutta. Would you like to do that with a chanting of a sutta? Thank you for listening. To learn how you can support the teachers and Dharma Seed, please visit dharmaseed.org slash donate.